thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hi, my name is Charlotte Newell. Hi, my name is Colton Newell. And we will be reading John 5, 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the man replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Charlotte and Colton, thank you so much for reading our scripture for us today. Before I jump into the message, I want to mention just one thing. You may know that we have just in the last few days, mentioned a shift in our worship schedule that will be happening two weeks from today. We'll be introducing a second worship service on June 13th. So I want to tell you a little bit about that. At 9.45 a.m., there will be a a service in Celebration Hall for those who might be new to Stonebridge. That's on the other side of our campus. That will be a different style of worship than this current service For the first month or two, we will sing predominantly hymns in that service. The choir will make their return later in the summer. And eventually the service will move toward what we call a blended style. Basically what that means is there will be some traditional elements in the service and a few contemporary elements thrown in every now and then as well. Tracy Lestrap will be the worship leader for the service in Celebration Hall, but that will not happen until we find a new worship leader for this contemporary service. This service will continue to be live streamed. It will continue to be a contemporary worship offering here in the rack in the Robertson Activity Center, and that will move to 11 a.m. So you've been used to worshiping with us at 10. This worship service in here will move to 11. Both services will continue to observe all of our COVID protocols, including advanced RSVP and seating that allows you to social distance. But we certainly look forward to worshiping with you in one of these two services, whether it's in person or online. So please make a note that in two weeks, that will be the shift that happens. So this is the last week in our chapter, or in our series called The Next Chapter. We did the story as a church for eight months where we walked through the entire Bible together. And so now we have been answering the question, what now? How does the Bible actually affect our daily lives? 
So over the last three weeks, we've talked about remembering the story, living the story, and telling the story. And today we'll finish with claiming the story. Last month, um, Luke and I took our first airplane trip since COVID began last March. I'll admit that I was a little nervous because I didn't know what to expect at the airports, both here and in Florida, where we were traveling to, especially in the spring break season. But we were both surprised to see which part of the airport experience was the most chaotic in both places. Was it the parking? No. Was it checking in? Nope. Security, boarding at the gate, the actual flight or getting off the plane, none of those. The Chick-fil-A line or the rental car line, those took a close second. But the craziest part of both airports was the baggage claim area. You'd think people were fighting over the same exact bag. Now, sure, every now and then someone will pick up the wrong bag. We know that that happens. But for the most part, people claim their own luggage because who wants someone else's clothes, right? Who really wants that? We claim things that are valuable to us, things that actually belong to us. And that seems to be second nature with our stuff, with our material possessions. But how often do we take just as seriously, if not more so, claiming God's truth in our lives. We may read about it, we may hear about it and know what it is, but do we really take hold of it as a reality and then live differently because of it? The story that Charlotte and Colton read is near the the very beginning of John's gospel. Jesus is traveling around, he has done a few miracles, and people are starting to watch him and talk about him. And so Jesus has returned to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. And he approaches a pool. The name can be translated a few ways. It's either called the Pool of Bethesda or Bethzotha. And it was actually unearthed in the 19th century. And this is what it looks like today. And that word means house of mercy or house of grace. And around the pool, there were five covered porches And it was quite common to find people laying around there, whether they were sick or blind or lame or paralyzed. The pool was deep enough to swim in, and so it was known as a place where people would come for healing. Now, there was a subterranean uh, stream below the pool, and so every now and then it would bubble up and it would disturb the waters in the pool. But there was a sort of urban legend that some believed that an angel would actually come and stir the waters. And the legend was that the first person into the water after that happened would be healed. That was a very common belief in ancient times. And so the text tells us that there's a man who had been sick for 38 years. 38 years, that's a long time. So long that his problem had likely become his way of life. Probably had a pretty hopeless outlook. And so Jesus sees him. The scripture says that Jesus knew that this man had been there for a very long time. He might have been pointed out to Jesus by someone else, or Jesus might have just seen him and known that his condition would make it difficult for him to be the first one into the water. It makes you feel kind of sorry for this guy. He laid there for 38 years. At what point does your spirit just begin to crumble? And so Jesus looks at him and says, Do you want to get well? Well, your first reaction would be, well, of course he wants to get well. 
But this was not an odd question for Jesus to ask because he knew that this man had grown comfortable with his handicap. And so he wanted to make sure that he was ready to receive what Jesus could give. And so what he was really asking the man was, do you really want to be changed? And so the man's response, perhaps in a bit of a whiny tone, well, I don't have anyone to pick me up and put me in the water. When I try to get to it, somebody else beats me there. The healer is standing there. So why can he not just say, yes, sure. Well, Jesus is not having it. And so Jesus looks at him and says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And so even though he's asking this man to attempt the impossible, and he could speak with a bit of an edge to his voice, the bottom line is that Jesus is extending grace to this man. And so the man is healed. He picks up his mat and he walks away. Now, all of this takes place on the Sabbath, which, of course, upset the Jewish leaders because their interpretation of the law was such that carrying his mat was working. And that was against the law. And so when they come to him and they ask the man, who healed you? We learn that he doesn't even know who Jesus was. And so Jesus finds him in the temple and confirms the reality of what just happened, that he's healed. And and Jesus says to him, don't sin anymore in case something worse happens to you. Now, he's not saying there that suffering is a punishment for sin. Rather, he's asking this man to acknowledge that he's been set free. Because healing is more than just the physical. Spiritual health is required and needed to be made well to really live a whole life. Now notice here that Jesus doesn't talk about any kind of a pre-healing condition that's required. He talks about the response to the healing that's already been received, focusing not on the past, but moving forward. And so in one final act, this man runs back to the Jewish leaders and says, hey guys, by the way, that was Jesus who made me well. Wink, wink. Which only made them mad. If we look throughout the Gospels, we see that healing, restoring health to people, was a key component of Jesus' earthly ministry. But healing and change require divine intervention, but also human initiative. Claiming God's story of transformation involves initiative on our part. It means that we work with God in the process. Now, it has been a rough 15 months in so many ways. And I feel pretty confident in saying that each one of us has experienced a range of emotions, maybe some of us more than others, and maybe some emotions more than others. Fear and anxiety, depression and grief, anger, loneliness. And so today I want to have a very real conversation about our health but especially the health of our minds. You might know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so we're coming to the very end of that, but you've probably been hearing on the news or reading in newspapers or other things all about mental health throughout these last few weeks. So what do we mean, though, when we say that? What do we mean when we say mental health? I want to share with you the definition from the World Health Organization. Mental health is a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively, and is able to make a contribution 
to his or her community. Now, I want to offer this disclaimer right out of the gate. I and most pastors, I am not trained as a doctor, and I am not trained as a counselor. We certainly have connections to make great referrals for those things, but today I'm not going to address the physical component of mental health. What I can, what I am qualified to address is the spiritual aspect of mental health. Because we are spiritual beings and physical bodies created in the image of God. We have bodies, we have minds, and we have spirits. And God desires wellness for us in every aspect of our being. Salvation is about wholeness, and it's about wellness. So where do we start? Naming our places of brokenness is the first step towards transformation and healing. Last month, there was an article in the New York Times by a a guy named Adam Grant. He's a psychologist. And Pastor Dale actually found it and passed it along to me and, and Pastor Jeff. And so I read the article actually a few times. And then interestingly, over the last few weeks, I have seen it referenced in at least four to five other places. And so what that tells me is the ideas in this article resonate with people during this time. And the article was about this idea called languishing. And Adam Grant says that languishing is that void somewhere in between depression and flourishing. It's it's an absence of well-being. You feel gloomy or unfocused, overwhelmed, anxious and sad. You might feel really worn out and unmotivated or melancholy, basically not thriving, just kind of joyless and aimless. Can anyone relate? I can't. And so he explains that that what happened was in the early days of the pandemic, the part of our brain that detects a threat, the amygdala, that part of our brain was on high alert, constantly looking for threats. And over time, as we began to learn to cope and to form new routines in our lives, we began to experience less panic, but more emptiness. And most definitely a sense of grief mourning many things, but but definitely our loss of, quote, normalcy, whatever that is. And so he offers this question. Consider what the socially acceptable response is to the question, how are you? When someone asks you, how are you, instead of saying great or fine, if it's not true, imagine if we said, honestly, I'm languishing today. And so that's what I mean by naming it, being real with ourselves, being real with other people. All of us have resistant habits, life patterns, and struggles that keep us from being who God created us to be. And very often, like the man in this story, we have become comfortable in a state of discomfort. We get stuck. And so we all have to answer the question, do you want to get well? A few years ago during Lent, I, along with a group of folks from here, studied a book called Made for a Miracle. It's by a United Methodist pastor. His name is Mike Slaughter. And he uses this biblical story to create this three-step framework for us of how to walk in healing and wholeness. And so the first step he offers is get up. This means taking an intentional physical action. Name what it is that's keeping you from the life God desires for you. Where are you stuck? Where are you hurting? It might mean you need a new workout routine or new eating habits. 
It might mean that you need to pick up the phone and call a doctor for a checkup. Or it might mean seeking recovery for an addiction. You might need to renew or repair a relationship or commit to weekly worship and other spiritual habits. Life can be hard. Life can be hard, and many times we can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we respond. We can take the initiative knowing that God is for us. The second step is pick up. And what that means is exchanging our limited human thinking for the limitless thinking of Jesus. Often after Jesus would heal someone, he would say to them, your faith has made you well. And what he's referring to is the power that we have, the power of our minds over our bodies and our emotions. Our beliefs about God and our beliefs about ourselves play a vital role in our wellness. In my office at home, I have two scriptures that I have prominently displayed. And and I have them as daily reminders for me. And the first one is Romans 12.2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the second one is 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Friends, God cares about our minds. We have to renew them and believe in what's possible. And so the more of God's truth that we put into our minds, the more garbage we push out. And so when we challenge our thoughts, when we confront our emotions, that is when we begin to transform our actions. Renewing our minds, continuing to move forward, and trusting that Jesus makes a difference is how we love God with all our mind, just as we're commanded to do. And the third step is to walk. Let what we know to be true about Jesus to actually be activated in our lives. This is a lifelong process. A long obedience in the same direction, you might say. And a big part of this process is, for sure, other people. The community around us plays a crucial role in our own wellness as as people support us, counsel us, and pray for us. But when we heal ourselves, everyone benefits because it's at that point that we can move out into the world as a source of hope and love. We become healthier when we invest in helping other people become healthier. And God may very likely have special work for you to do in spite of or because of your circumstances. Sharing our story of transformation is what helps other people connect with Jesus. And so when we engage other people, when we seek to really understand their humanity, we are actively participating in healing in our world. I've always been very transparent in my ministry, about my belief in therapy. It's okay to have Jesus and a therapist. You can love Jesus and you can still struggle. And so even when life is great, therapy helps us check ourselves. Significant anxiety has been a part of of my own journey, and I'm not ashamed to say that. I currently see a therapist once a month, and I am grateful for the challenge and the growth that happens in that time. I'm happy to share more of my story with you, to visit with you. You, All you need to do is reach out to me, and I'm happy to do that. But here's the thing. It's okay to not be okay. And if we can't safely say that in this place, then we have a problem. 
But let's not settle for a life of not okay. If we need help, then let's get help. And let's surrender our minds to God's truth and allow the Holy Spirit to empower us and to lead us. I feel so passionately about this that I will be leading a a four-week study in July focused around mental health. We'll use a few different resources together and we'll talk about things like grief and anxiety and depression and fear. Very real and important issues all the time, but magnified right now. Because the church is called to be a place of healing and renewal for our community and beyond. And part of doing that is allowing a safe space to learn together, to discuss together, to reduce the stigma surrounding mental health in the church. Let's rethink our understanding of what well-being means. If you're interested in that, please let me know. Whether you're facing a struggle yourself or if you love someone that does, which I guarantee everyone in this room does. I want to close by encouraging you to be kind to yourself. This is a list of things that are proven to help our mental state. We're going to leave that slide up for just a moment. Take a look at that list. Choose one or two of those things to try this week. Feel free to take a photo of that screen if you want to. Enjoy ordinary moments in your life. Give yourself grace. If you feel like you're languishing, Focus on a challenge that matters to you. It might be a project. It might be a goal. It might be a conversation. Something that is a step toward regaining your energy and your enthusiasm in life. Friends, God is bigger than anything we struggle with. Brokenness leads to transformation. And so think about your response to this statement. As I claim God's story of healing and wholeness, I will. And you finish that thought. We are empowered through Christ to overcome any obstacle that opposes God's purpose for our lives. Exodus 15:26 says, I am the Lord who heals you. And so the good news is that God covers us in love and grace and mercy and compassion as we are restored and transformed. And so Jesus is asking us today, do you want to be made well? And when we claim the grace and the love of the gospel as our reality, Jesus offers us a chance to change. Thanks be to God for that. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we do thank you for your gift of healing. Knowing that in our brokenness, you are able to take that and bring transformation. God, I lift up those in this room who struggle today, who love someone who struggles, that you would be with them in those moments, that you would comfort them and let them hear a word of grace, a word of hope. And I pray that you would be with all of us as we walk into a new week, that we would be ready to be made well, but that we would also look for ways to be an agent of healing and transformation to those around us, to our families, our friends, to those we work with, that they might see us and see you, the great healer. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.